people in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Say, who are the people in your neighborhood? The people that you meet each day. I thought you'd sing along to that. That's like Sesame Street 101. Um, if you take your Bible and turn with me today to uh, Luke chapter 15, I'm going to get there in just a minute. Luke chapter 15. Um, we are in our series on the, on the door, and uh, we're talking about different capacities of that every week. And this week we're talking about the next door. We're talking about uh, your neighbor. And just kind of some trivial fun as, you're, as we're getting ready for this today. Can you name some famous TV neighbors? Who was Tim the Toolman Taylor's neighbor? Wilson, thank you. Such passion, I love this. It was also the name of Dennis and Menace's next door neighbor. It's a pretty common neighbor. Seinfeld's neighbor. Kramer, never knocked, just walked in. What's up, Jerry? Um, Ray Romano's. His parents. Man, stinks to be him, huh? And, no offense. And, and friends, Rachel and Monica. Joey and Chandler, man, you guys are great. You get all these. We're talking about neighbors. Do you know your next door neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the people that you work around, that you live around, that you do life around? If you look up the word neighbor in the dictionary, uh, in Webster's, it says that it's your fellow man or the people that you live life around. So that could be people that you work with. It could be people that you, that, that you frequent, you know, maybe the same coffee shop every day or people that, you know, where you, you go shop or whatever, how your, your life, your next door neighbor, the people live in your condo community or in your apartment complex, your neighbors. And, and so as we talk about this, this subject of neighbors and next door, let's talk about how it applies to the local church. And we're going to talk about us as a, as, a, as a community, as a group of people, and then us as individuals. Because the Bible talks a lot about this. And, and anytime you're going to investigate how an organization is doing with something, uh, Peter Drucker, who is the father of modern management leadership, said that there's two questions every organization has to ask of itself. What's business and how's business? And I think for the local church, we have to ask the question, what's mission and how's mission? Well, we know what's mission. Mission is to give and go. The Bible says that we're to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the great commission. And the great commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love our neighbor next door as ourselves. And so the, Jesus says when you do these things, you basically, that's Christianity is wrapped into those two things. Being a Christ follower is wrapped into those two things. So how are we as the church doing with the mission that Christ gave us? Well, I'm going to throw some statistics. They're going to be on the screen as I go through them. These are some church facts, some real reality with the church in America. Not necessarily life church, but the evangelical Protestant church in, in America. First of all, the percentage of adults in the U.S. who attend church is decreasing and doing so every year. There's only 40% of people that actually went to church last weekend. That means 60% of the people that you live life with that are next door to you, whether at your job, your office, your neighborhood, wherever, don't attend church. Half of all church, churches in America did not add one new person through conversion growth last year. Over half of all the churches in America, nobody came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Nobody asked Jesus Christ in their heart and life. Nobody. And you know what that tells me? That tells me that over half of the churches in America, the pastors aren't even living what they're preaching. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Because as a minister, we have a responsibility to lead by our actions, not just by our words. Amen. 
More churches in America are closing every year than are opening. More churches in America closed this past year than opened, than we planted new ones. The, the, the number is this, is that 3,750 churches closed their doors in America last year. 3,750 congregations said, we will no longer meet next Sunday, and they closed their doors. And we only planted or opened the doors for 1,300 new churches in America. Conversions to other religions and dropouts in Christianity are escalating. Islam is now the fastest growing religion right now in America. There is an Islamic mosque in every state and of this nation right now. One of the and again, I'm from Arkansas. Do you know one of the largest Muslim mosques in America is in Jonesboro, Arkansas, at Arkansas State University, about 15 minutes from my parents' house. I mean. Who would have thunk it? I mean, that's the bastion of the Bible Belt. The decline in Christianity has been going on for nearly 50 years. Check this out. The American church hasn't gained more than 2% in 50 years. I mean, if this is a business, if we're talking to a group of shareholders, we're done, right? I mean, stick a fork in us. We're done. And too many church people believe and behave... Or too many people believe that, 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 that the church, they don't act. They act no different than the unchurched. So people look at our lives and they go, hey man, why do I want to trade my junk for yours? The divorce rates are the same. The, the debt to income ratio are the same. The, the, all the barometers in life are the same. You're no better off than I am, so why do I want what you have? Some startling stats and facts. Because honestly, you want to know whether church is vital If the church shut its doors, would the community miss that church? Not the people that attend the church, but the community. If the church shut its doors, would the people in that community miss that church? Now, I'm not putting any words in anybody's mouth, but I would tell you that at Life Church, these aren't the realities. There were over 400 people that gave their life to Christ last year. We baptized 60-some-odd people at the annual baptism and picnic that we did. We're seeing people grow. We're, we, we are up over, I think, about 125 or 130 people in average attendance since last year. I mean, it's, we're, we're going for like four services or a satellite location come the fall. I mean, things are radically growing and happening here. But this is not the state of the typical church. And I'll tell you the reason why. It's because we're not just trying to fish in a bathtub where everybody's all saved and found. We're actually just loving people in the community and going to the highways and the byways and the hedges and compelling people into a relationship with Jesus Christ just by loving people. I've heard this said over and over and over in different, in different community groups that I've been involved in that, if, that, that people, they pay attention to who you are and they pay attention to what's happening here. And, and, and one group that I was at, I was at a meeting with me and Kevin, Pastor Kevin Miller. We were at a meeting and, uh, and the person that oversees the Germantown Fourth of July festivities for our community said, if it was not for Life Church, we would not have had a parade. And you may go, well, nobody gets saved at that parade. Oh, nobody's preaching the gospel. Oh, my goodness, what are we doing? Did you hear that? Are you stinking deaf? The, the, the community that we live in goes, because of this church and because of the people of this church, because the church is not a building, it's people, amen? And, and, and because of their love and because of them giving and going, because of this, we have these things in the community. When you began to love people, when you began to, to, to invest in people, when you began to do, all of a sudden people began to listen to your message. Because there's a lot of talking heads out there and everybody's got an opinion nowadays, right? You know what it takes to be a critic, don't you? Just an opinion. 
You don't have to have an education. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to be an expert. You have an opinion. And my grandfather says, opinions are kind of like armpits. Everybody's got a couple and they usually stink. Yeah. It's pretty true. <laughs> right? <laughs> so the reality is, is that why is that a reality in the nation? And why is that not necessarily a reality at Life Church? What did Jesus Christ intend? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 15. And we'll look when, when he kind of gives an illustration, insight into mission. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, again, I didn't write this, but I love how they put sinners in quotations, were all gathering around who? Around him, around Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day, the church, if you would, muttered. I love that word muttered. It sounds like a bunch of cows, right? Chewing their cud, just rah, rah, rah. Okay. And this is their accusation. This man welcomes sinners, and he, get this, download this, he eats with them. <gasps> say it's not so, say it's not so. Before we go on, I, I just got to unpack this for a minute. Because these two little verses crack me up. Because first of all, have you ever noticed that people that are far away from God were always attracted to Jesus? That's something for you to think about. Because some of you and some churches are not the most attractive people to lost people. Ouch. If they were, we wouldn't be losing people. If they were, we wouldn't be closing doors. If, the, if they were, we wouldn't be shrinking in America. It would be gangbusters. The problem is, is that we've had this mantra in church for years that if you behave... And then you believe, maybe you can belong. If you will behave, right? I'm a kid of the 80s. If you come in and you, you burn your ACDC records and highway to hell because you can't do that and love Jesus at the same time. And I'm not preaching about rock and roll music. I'm just talking about, you, and you cut your mullet because that's what we all had in the 80s, right? You know? And, and, and take the slits out of your hair because vanilla ice and the whole, and right? And, and just, just come on, work, and, and you do this. You should see my high school senior picture. <laughs> and then you began to believe. Then you, then you began to believe. And we see that you believe. And we see that you carry a Bible with, with, with your name on the front of it. And, and we, we, we see this. And you're a card-carrying member of the local Bible bookstore. And, and you, you're there. And you've got this. And you go through all the classes and you do that. And you sign a card saying, I, I accepted Jesus Christ. And the church I grew up in, it, they said, we do not believe in dry-eyed confessions. That meant you had to, yes, I cried when I gave my life to Jesus. I shed tears. So we would pinch ourselves, right? When we were kids in the altars. Anyhow, it's another story. Grew up in church. I was a deacon's kid. What can I say? We're hell on wheels. So anyhow, so, so and then, you, then you can belong to the club. See, that's what the religious leaders of the, of the first century were doing. Their, their issue with Jesus was that he was around sinners, that sinners were attracted to him, and that he was eating with them. And there must be something wrong. Because they didn't have time to be around sinners. You had to have made a certain protocol. You had to behave. You had to then believe. And then if you'd go through all the hoops, then maybe you can belong. Can I tell you, that's just jacked up. Because the way Jesus did it was you belong. Not you're saved going to heaven. That's a personal decision between you and God. But, but you're a child of the living God. You, God loves you so much that Christ died for us when we were yet sinners. That's when God loved us. Not when we behaved and we believed, but when we 
We're just who we were. And Jesus said, look, man, you, you, you belong. And, then, and, then, and I believe that, that by, by being around the influence, you're, you're going to begin to change your behavior, begin to think through some things, and then you're going to give your life to Jesus Christ. That's the reason why every weekend we give people an opportunity to say, hey, I made a decision to follow Christ. You go, but you didn't give an altar call. I'm telling you, there are people throughout the course of the week, and, and I've had conversations with people in the church, they go, today I decided this is what I'm going to do with my life. I've been sitting here. I've been listening to you teach. I've been listening to this. My, I've been coming with my family. I've been coming with my fiance. I've been coming with my boyfriend. I've been coming with my parents. I've been coming, and I made a decision that today, this is it. I've decided to follow Jesus. Who am I? Who am I to stand up and say, well, unless you do it this way, you don't get saved. Unless you can hold your leg out this and your hand up here and touch your nose. Hey, all these hoops we jump through. So the reality is, is that Jesus, that was their big accusation. That's the problem of the church today. Can I tell you the biggest, the biggest thing I get from other churches is, yeah, you guys really go after sinners, man. And I hear there are people at your church that just don't always live right. You know, there's a purity and there's a holiness. I'm like, yeah, look, uh, uh, but none of us are perfect. And I'm not watering down the gospel. I'm not pulling down the gospel. I'm not telling you that it's okay to do this, this, and this. I'm not telling you to act like the world to win the world. I'm just saying love the world. Love the people. Just love them. Hey, the, the, we're not going to pull back on what the Word says. The, what the Word says is truth. I, we can't change that. If the Bible says this is sin, this is sin. If it says this is right, this is right. We don't change that. We don't pull back that. I don't change my behavior. I don't become like them in order to win them. I'm not going getting drunk at the bar in order to win, win some guys to Jesus. I'm not hanging out with the cigar club in order to win those guys to Jesus. I, I'm not running to the strip club in order to win those guys to Jesus. I, I'm going to live pure and holy before God. But there's something about a life that's pure and holy before God that just simply loves people where they are that's attractive to people that are far away from God. Because everybody wants to be in right relationship with God. They just don't know how to get there. And then when they find someone who's walking the life and living the life, and there's what Paul calls the aroma of Christ is in them and around them and surrounds them, it's attractive to people because there's a wholeness, there's a peace, there's a purity that they so long in their life, but they've been so heismaned by the church and so put off by the church and put off by the evangelical community that they go, to heck with it, man. I don't need that kind of abuse. I'm already condemning myself. Because remember, it's our sin that condemns us. You realize that. It's not Christ. It's not even the Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's your sin that condemns you. The Holy Spirit convicts you, but it's the, your sin that condemns you. But when they find someone who's walking the talk and living the life, and they don't I think they're all that in a bag of chips, and they actually invite them into a personal relationship just to love them, wow, what's the catch? What's the deal? Let's read on. Sorry, that wasn't even in my notes. All right, verse, verse number three. Jesus, here's how he responds with this parable, with this story of meaning. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country? It's real important, the open country. There, there's no protection. There's no anything. They're just out there. There's, they're out there, sheep without a shepherd. And go after the one lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. If this is written today, it'd be like celebrate good times. Come on, like cool in the gang. There's a party, right? Party in the USA. Okay, I have lost my sheep, my lost sheep, and now I found them. And I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven. Listen to this. Over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. God's more excited about one person that will come to faith in Jesus Christ than a thousand people that will be on this campus. Wow. The 
God doesn't care about our righteous selves. He cares about people that are far away from him. Why? Because those are his sons and his daughters. Those of you that have children, you understand this. You have one that's found and one that's lost. You're not worried about the found one. You're worried about the lost one. That's the heart of God. That's the reason why God blesses churches that follow his heart. Because churches that are here to seek and save that which is lost, that's the heart of Jesus. That's why he left heaven and all the glories of heaven to come and live a, live a life, a lowly life of humanity and make of himself no reputation. Why? So that he could be the life. So that man could have life. So that there could be redemption in him. I know I'm preaching and I'm excited. But this passage gives us a couple things. First of all, evangelism. This going next door, it doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't just happen. If you're going to go next door, if you're going to love your neighbor, if you're going to do a word called evangelism, which is to tell someone else about Jesus Christ, it's not going to happen on accident. Someone's probably not going to stop you and say, hey, would you tell me about Jesus? Hey, could you give me the Roman roads? Hey, you know, I heard read about this guy online called Bill Bright and the Four Spiritual Laws. Could you help me with that? And in that moment, they don't need you to open up your coat and say, let's see what track would work for you. Okay, here you go. Read this and call me tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to be missional and you're going to, to, to do the work that God's called us to do, and if we as a church are going to be that way, the reality is it doesn't happen on accident. Every weekend, we spend a lot of energy making sure that every single service is done in a way that people that are far away from God can understand what I'm saying. The greatest compliment I get is from people that say, man, I understand this. I never understand church, but you're so simple, and you just bring it down to earth. And what, really what they're saying is you're not that smart, and I'm not, but you get it, and that's what's important. When we give out a Bible, we don't do the King James Version. Nothing against the King James Version, but it's written at a freshman college level. And, the, and even the newspaper's not written at a freshman level in college. It's written at a third grade reading level. So we give out what's called the New Century Version, which is written at a third grade reading level. I read it. Maybe you don't like it, but it makes it really simple for me. I get it. Even the NIV that we're reading from today is written at a ninth grade reading level, which is higher than... Just make it easy for people. Tear down the walls. Make it easy because it doesn't happen on accident. It doesn't happen on accident. It's intentional. And the key is relationship. Jesus says the key is relationship. That shepherd had, that was his sheep. He's going after his sheep. There's a relational connection. And I know you've heard it said a gazillion times, but it's so true. People don't care about how much they know until they know how much you care. People don't care about your church. They don't care about your religion. They don't care about your Jesus. Don't mean to disrespect you, but they really don't care. What they care about is do you care about them? And when you begin to just love them right where they are, no strings attached. And you can love people without judging them. We're not their judge anyhow. Who do we think we are? I'm not your judge. Oh, God, help us all. He's the judge. I'm just called to love people and to point them to him. And that all begins with relationship. Let's talk about this just for a second. Because I believe this begins in local church with, with a pastor that has to live this out. Because before I'm a, a pastor, I'm a Christ follower. And as a Christ follower, I'm called to do this, right? To go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. I'm called to, to, to love God with all my heart, my soul, and strength, and love my neighbors myself. And I don't think that this stuff is necessarily taught as much as it is caught. And I was raised in church where I would hear this over and over. Go in the world. We're going to change the world. Go do this. Go. And you're like, but, but the reality is it's got to begin here. 
I'll never forget a couple years ago, a guy in the state called me and just said, hey man, I'd like to have lunch with you. I know your church is growing. Could I pick your brain for a little bit and come down and talk to you? I said, sure. So I came in, walked into the facilities, gave him all the contact information of people that did this work for us or that work for us or this curriculum or that curriculum and all this other kind of stuff. And he said, could I buy your lunch? I said, sure. I'm always game for somebody buying my lunch. And so we went to Chili's and, and we're eating and he's beginning. And, and, the, and over the course of the meal, he's talking to me. He's been at this church six, seven years. The church isn't growing. The people won't bring anyone. The people won't do this. The people aren't excited. The people People aren't whatever. The people, da, 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 it, just a parenthetical thought. It really chaps my hide when pastors blame their problems on church people. You may have never heard a pastor say that. But the bottom line is, is we have what we have because that's what we can handle. And at a certain point, after a couple of years, after about two years, it's yours, baby. So if it stinks, it's because your leadership stinks. Okay, that's another story for another day. So this guy was just griping about his church. And so I just said, listen, I said, uh, talk to me. Tell me who you're relationally connected with outside the church or people that are far away from God that you're just loving on. You're just being Jesus with skin on. You're just, and in doing so, you're hoping for an opportunity. You're praying for an opportunity that you could at least present them with the gospel. Whether they reject, reject it or accept it, you're doing that. Well, I really don't, you, you know where I'm going with this. I really don't have anybody and the church keeps me busy and I gotta go do this and I gotta go do that. And at that point, it was like yada, 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 right? So I looked at him and I said, and he, and I said, do you really want to know the key? I said, so let me stop. How many people have come to faith in Christ in your church in six years under your leadership? Well, not really anybody. We had a VBS and a couple of kids got saved and that kind of a deal. And that counts, but you know. I said, so let's down, download this for me. Here's the bottom line. You've been living in this community for six, seven years. The church is not growing at all. It's plateauing at best. No adults have come to faith in Christ. You have no relational connection with anybody outside the church community. And your entire church life, your entire life is, is summed up in the church. He said, yeah. I said, you're the problem. You're what's wrong with the church. At that point, he dropped his chip and his salsa. And I began to talk. And I said, because I'd heard all this all I wanted to. And I just said, listen to me. I'm going to tell you something that you can reject it and have indigestion, or you can accept it, and this would be a good meal, and this would be a turning point for you. But you're expecting your people to go somewhere that you're not going. You're expecting your people to have relationships and to produce, and you're not producing. You're expecting them to do from your teaching what you're not willing to do. Secondly, you're a stagnant Christian. You're part of the frozen chosen. You're the crusty saint, the crusty Christian that Jesus talked against. You have all the whitewashed sepulcher, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And you have no relational connection. And you're dried up spiritually because you're not reproducing anything in God. You either need to go sell something else or you need to, you know, get on the spout where the glory comes out. Well, that was the end of the check, please. We were over. He's never called me again. Asked for my help. Insight. I check. The church is still the same place, same song, second verse, doesn't get better, just gets worse, and it will continue to stay there because it's got to be a relational key. You got to love people. You got to be in the community. You got to be out and about. The church has to be that way. Listen, I have relationships with people in the community that are far away from God, and I do that for two reasons. Number one, I'm a Christ follower, and it keeps me real because I, I can live in this little Christian bubble. That's why when people come to me and go, Pastor, would you play that I can work for this Christian business? I'm going, why? Why do you want to be around a bunch of Christians all day long? Is that not like boring and old and blah? I don't like Christians that much. I mean, do you really? Oh, I can't believe you said that. No, 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 no. But what did Jesus spend his time with? Mm, I'm telling you, I am preaching so much better than you're shouting this morning. Because I'm setting you free on some things. And the deal is, it's not that I act like the world, but I'm in the world. 
Do you understand? And let me tell you something. I've had people in the community asking me about my faith in Christ, and I've been able to express that. And some of those people go, I don't want that. I don't cut my friendship off with them because I'm just, I'm just going to keep praying for them and loving them. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. But man, there have been some. There are families in this church today that when I moved to this community were far away from God and I began to pray and intercede on their behalf. And I began to ask God for open doors of opportunity. And if you know me in the, from the community, I'm not like, hey, I'm Aaron Cole, I'm the pastor of Life Church, and God wants to change your life. I don't do that. Because <laughs> as soon as I say I'm a pastor, it's like, okay, he's a freak, right? <laughs> he's not willing to call her, and he's not Lutheran. He's weird. It's a world we live in. My wife is the other day, I'm going to tell this. My wife's the other day, she's working at the book fair, and a lady came in and was talking to her, and you're not from here, no, and I love your accent, da 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 and then finally got around to, what, do you, what, what brought you here? Well, my husband's a pastor of Life Church. It was like, invisible shield went right up. I mean, there's no more conversation. But there have been some that, man, through that relationship, I've been able to lead them to a faith in Christ. And there are families in Life Church. That God, it's the most cool thing in the world to me, that God would use me outside of this pulpit to just lead somebody to faith in Christ. I mean, Roger Erickson's in the service, and Roger's probably one of the biggest soul winners in Milwaukee. I was so attracted to and out of a relationship with him and with Donna because they so love, they so live this principle. And this isn't hard, it's not rocket science. But it all comes out of relationship. It all just comes out of just loving people right where they are. Don't change who you are. Don't water down your standards. Don't pull back on your standards. You don't have to go get drunk in the bar to win them to Jesus. Just simply love people and let that come out of that. And, 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 and the last thing here in Luke is that evangelism must be intentional. You've got to be willing to live and leave the 99 and go after the one. You've got to be willing to, to, to leave the people that are the frozen chosen and the crusty Christians and people go, oh, I don't know, maybe you're watering down the gospel. That's how you're growing. Maybe, maybe you're making it easy for people to come to faith in Christ. That's how you're growing. You know, you just check a box at Life Church. That's all you have to do and you're in heaven. Well, first of all, if you've been around me very much, I, it, yeah, it's a little bit more than that, right? But who am I? The Bible says that it's my responsibility to sow the good seed. I'm giving people an opportunity to find life. I'm not the judge. I'm not it. So how does this apply to us? What, what does it mean about you next door? Because we've kind of been talking about the church, right? Just real quick. John chapter 1. Just turn over there real quick. It's just a couple of pages to the right. John chapter 1. This is really totally cool. John chapter 1. Jesus is going and he's, he's, he's recruiting the disciples, right? The twelve. John chapter 1, verse 40, and it says this, And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. Verse 41, the first thing, say first thing, that Andrew did was find his brother Simon, who's Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Verse 42, and he, Andrew, brought him, Peter, to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, Peter said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be now be called Cephas. Uh, uh, you will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Dude, this is powerful. I'm going to unpack this just for a second for you. It's real simple, but very powerful. This is, this is what you, you and I can do as far as going next door. 
It's a simple strategy that comes right from this passage that we use at Life Church. It's called invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. You invest in people relationally with no strings attached. You pray for them, you invest in them, you love them, just simply because you love them. And then when the Lord, the Holy Spirit, you have an opportunity, then you can invite them. Invite them to a small group so they can realize that Christians aren't all weird. Invite them to a Married Life Live. Look, we had 100 couples, had 200 people here Friday night, married couples. Invite them to an event like that. Invite them to a, a fun event. Invite them to a kids event or a student event or invite their kids to something. Invite them next weekend. That's the reason why every one of you, you've got these friend weekend cards. Next weekend, we have a friend weekend, and you can just simply just take this card and go and invite them and just say, hey, I'd like to invite you. But don't just invite everybody. Invite people that you're relationally invested with. Go to people that you're relationally invested with and just say, listen, my pastor won't get off my back about this. Would you, would you come and be my guest? I went to that stupid sales pitch that this, for this timeshare. Remember that you drug me to. You owe me one. Come next weekend. Um, I tell you what, why don't you come and love to meet you for coffee and then do that in my tree. Hey, matter of fact, why don't, why don't you come and bring your family and then bring, bring your entire family and we'll take everybody to lunch to your favorite restaurant. Your favorite restaurant's Maggiano. You've got two kids, right? No, six. Okay, I'll take out a small loan, but we'll still go. <laughs> Invite them. Because here's the reality. At Life Church, every single weekend, we totally gear our services to build the believer and serve the seeker, to serve up the bread of life hot and fresh. And here's what happens. When we lift high the name of Jesus, he meets the needs of our people. He meets our needs. I don't have anybody come here going, oh, my kids aren't learning about Jesus and my teenagers don't want to go to church and, and I feel like I'm spiritually dry. What are you smoking? I have people coming to me all the time going, man, I, the worship service was awesome. Last weekend, I preach on money. I preach on financial freedom. At the end of the service, this service, 11 o'clock service, I feel led of the Lord just to give an altar call for salvation. My dad, who was sitting on the first row at lunch last Sunday, said, I thought, boy, what are you doing? And, and I, I, just, I just felt like, you know, there's people here that need to give their life to Christ. I'm not even preaching on a gospel message, but I'm preaching on financial freedom. I'm just going to give an opportunity. I'm telling you, dude, boom, 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 boom. Hands were going all up. I felt like an auctioneer. I see the hand. I see the hand. Yeah, I see the hand. I see the hand. An entire row. I mean, they were all up. And I was like, I'm sitting here going, what is going on? See, the, the, the deal is, is that God will do the work in the lives. And we try to gear everything in that direction. So that you as a Christ follower are built up and you're encouraged to go and live this life. And we're going to open up God's word and we're going to journey through it. But then we're also going to reach people that are far away from God. That they can come and say, man, I, I feel like I'm, I feel welcome here. I feel like I can bring my friends here. I feel like I can bring people that are far away from God here. The only people we typically really tick off are crusty Christians or people that have a certain way church has to be done. I won't even go in that direction, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, all right. Yeah, okay. Okay, good. All right, everybody's with me. But you invest relationally in people. Then you invite them. That's all Andrew did. Now check this out. This is totally cool, and I'm going to shut up. We're going to pray and be gone. Andrew does this. Andrew meets Jesus. He goes back to his brother who he's relationally invested with. He doesn't give the four spiritual laws. They've not been invented yet. He doesn't give the Romans wrote. It hasn't been written yet. He doesn't talk about what Jesus Christ did on the day of Pentecost because it hasn't happened yet. He just says, listen, I want you to come and see. I want you to meet the Messiah. 
I just want to invite you to this. And Peter comes, and when he comes, Jesus said, you're it. Now, you know who Peter is, don't you? He's the one that denied Christ, but after the resurrection, he was the relationship that Jesus pursued. You know why? Because he's going to lead the New Testament church. Peter was the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost and gave the first altar call ever, and 3,000 people were saved. Peter was the one who had the vision on the rooftop of Cornelius and said that this gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Thank God. Because if not, only Tom Butenhoff would be saved this morning. The rest of us would all be going to hell if it wasn't for Peter. Tom's, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Got it? When we get to heaven, playing Eva. Okay, when we get to heaven, here's the deal. Tom and Eva are both Jewish, so that's where I'm going with that. You're going, what, what? It's an inside joke. I'm sorry I shouldn't have done it, but I'm here. Okay. Here's the deal. When we get to heaven and we stand before God, and the Bible says that we will be awarded for the life that we lived on this planet. Remember we talked about that last weekend. Treasure laid up in heaven. Here's what's going to happen. St. Peter who wrote the New Testament, who wrote part of the New Testament, who led the New Testament church, who gave the first altar call and 3,000 people were saved. The, the, the beloved, part of the inner circle, part of the inner sanctum, the, 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 the three that were on the Mount of Transfiguration, the whole deal. Peter will come and God will call his name and he will award him a crown of life and of righteousness for all that he did. But there's one greater than Peter. His name is Andrew. He's a brother that we don't preach about. He's a brother that we don't talk about. Because Peter will be responsible for the entire Gentile world hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter will be the one that will be responsible for the 3,000 that got saved. But there's one who led one more than Peter. That's Andrew. Because Andrew was the one that led Peter to Jesus. Mm, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And what did Andrew do? He invited someone that he had invested in to Jesus. We all know Billy Graham, but do you know the guy that led Billy Graham to the Lord? We all know Billy Graham, but that country preacher will say, but there's one who, who led more to me than Billy. See, that's what I'm talking about. You don't have to stand up on the, on the lunchroom at the, at, the, at the office and say, and the table and say, hey, you need to get right with God. You don't have to do the four spiritual laws. You don't have to do the Roman road. And if you get to a point where someone asks you your story, just tell them your story because they're not going to argue with your story. This is what Jesus did for me. Do you want to do this for you? But it's simply invest in people, love people right where they are, period. And then out of that, you're going to have an opportunity because they're going to ask you what's different. They're going to want to know what's in with your family. They're going to want to know where you go every Sunday morning or every Saturday night or whatever. They're going to want to know about that yard sign of Life Church in your front yard. And then just simply say, I want to invite you. Because next weekend when you invite people, I'm telling you, we're going to just do a message that's going to help people and give people hope in a world that doesn't have any hope. Amen. So the question is simply this. Will you go next door and invite someone next weekend? Will you relationally invest and care enough about God's people, the world, that you will invest in them and then invite them? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word.